peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. Strikers, how can we help those who need someone to lean on? Let's find out next on The Mighty Anvil. God, you are my smith. Forge me into the servant that you would have me be. Hit me hard enough to brush the scale and impurities from my life. Draw out my life to the length that you would have it. Make me tough enough to resist persecution and temper me so that I am hard enough to withstand temptations. Lord, as I go through life, put me back in the fire from time to time to repair me as I get blemished with sin. And when my life is over and the fires of my life are all quenched, grant me a home in heaven with you. Amen. All right, Strikers, let's get to the brushing. ELC events coming up. Uh, she Gathering, September 16th. Warrior Night, September 17th. And September 26th, we got our baptisms. At Grace Point Family Church, the events we have. Our small groups are now underway, and it is not too late to join. See the Grace Point Family Church app for details. Harvest Fest in October 2nd. This is the annual community event in the city of Anna. We have booths for both Grace Point Family Church and Grace Place. Stop by and visit or serve with us today. Serving with Bring the Light Ministries October 2nd. Grace Place Food Pantry is open three days a week, Monday and Wednesday, 4 to 7, Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon. Questions or comments for us, uh, you can contact us at mightyanvilpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram, mightyanvilpodcast. Strikers, this week we have a little different show for you because September is Mental Health Awareness Month. I had an opportunity to speak with Dr. Brittany Lashua on the topic. Uh, due to the last-minute recording of this episode, Alan was unable to join us, so hope you don't miss him too much. Uh, he will be back on the next episode. This podcast was started in hopes that our guest's testimony could help someone out there to let them know that they are not alone, that they're not the first ones to go through this, and that they can see their way to the other side. So that, that that's kind of the hope of where we are. As the open scripture said, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You've got people alongside you. Welcome, Strikers. Welcome back. Hey, you know, we've got an amazing guest today. Um, I'm a little nervous because of what she brings to the table. I've never really had a chance to sit down and talk with her. So I'm kind of looking forward to this. Uh, I've just, we just sat here talking for a couple minutes. Um, she is the better half of, uh, an individual that we've had as a guest, uh, host on before. And, uh, well, strikers welcome, uh, Brittany Lashua. And should I say doc- Dr. Brittany Lashua? Same difference. Same difference? Okay. One of the funniest things that uh, when Josh was on the show, uh, he, he he almost threatened me uh, when I called him Joshua Lashua. I kind of like the way that flows. Julia Gulia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was, uh, he was, uh, he just looked at me very strangely. But yeah, so Brittany, um, today we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart that I want the strikers to uh, 
kind of get behind me and support me in mental health awareness. Yeah. Uh, kind of focusing on, you know, suicide prevention mm-hmm. is, um, is something that really, I, <laughs> this is really strange. I can fill up ten. I can fill up two hands of people that I've known that have taken that have taken their lives. That's a lot of people. I think that's way too many people for one individual to know. Uh, the most recent one was my grandfather, mm. and I had no idea that that particular age group had such a high percentage. Mm-hmm. And once I once I did some studying and looking into that, I was like, oh well, I, I kind of get it, you know. Especially him who didn't like anybody to, he didn't want to have any, he didn't want to be dependent on anybody else. Sure. He was very independent. And when he found out that, you know, he was going to have to have his sons come over and help him daily to do those things, that was, that's, that was that's his. unbearable. It was his breaking point. Um, so, because we are on the Mighty Anvil, top three core values that, uh, that, you have what are they god excellence and learning learning that's one that hasn't come up yet yeah um why learning well i'm a phd so i am a perpetual nerd i can't help it um i believe that there is a ceiling on how far i can help my clients how i can help um, the clinicians that work for me be great clinicians if there is a ceiling on my learning. So mm. in order for me to truly serve others, I need to be committed to continue to learn for the rest of my life. I like that. I'm not sure I'll uh, adopt that one. Maybe further down the list, but it's not that's for everybody. That's okay. <laughs> doesn't have to be yours. But I like it. I like the learning, and I like the reason behind it. It's, that's, uh, I like how you have a love for people and want to continue mm-hmm. to help them. It's not about you gaining knowledge. It's about you gaining knowledge to help others. Absolutely. pretty awesome. What about core scripture? Um, My favorite scripture, I think the one that I reference the most anyways, is Colossians 3.15. And it says, let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. And where umpire is translated, that means guide. And in my field, peace is so important. Often people come into my office and need to make really big decisions or they're wrestling with things. And if we can allow God's peace to guide us, then we can get to where we need to go. I like it. Also, yeah, bring in peace. I mean, this is it's kind of what you do. Try to it bring is what peace I do. Me. I love it. Um, and then I think you kind of touched on it, but uh, what were the th- what are three reasons why you got into this? What what made you what started this, you on this path? Um, first of all, love for others is probably the biggest that I that would be in my top core values also is a love for others. And, um, I believe that God gifted me. I believe my spiritual gift is healing that God created me to be a healer. Um, and so that's a part of it. And I didn't know that though. I wasn't able to really identify that I'm a healer probably until the last two years because people just would talk to me and listen. And I originally thought I wanted to be a brain surgeon, but brain surgeon women, you know, struggle to have a family uh, because they work very long hours and I always wanted a family. And so that's one of the reasons that I ended up in this field per se is I don't do physical brain surgery. I maybe do metaphysical brain surgery. I like that. That is, I like how that, that came around. Let's talk about mental health. Let's do it. And it is, 
uh, September, which is Mental Health Awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one reason why this is such an impromptu uh, podcast. And typically I have Alan with me uh, that helps me with some questions. But I was going over the no- the numbers for uh, 2019. And I, before I get done there, is there a reason why it takes so long for like 2020 numbers to come in? Are they, I couldn't find them. Um, typically, at, at least my understanding of how this works is there's a collection of data and that data needs to be analyzed and processed. And so often the numbers are really two years behind on many of the things that we see. You'll even notice that with um, like health related stuff, not just mental health related things. Gotcha. Okay. So I uh, went over some numbers and we're going over the, the 2019 statistics. Uh, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2019, 47,511 Americans died from suicide. 2019, the suicide rates were higher among ages of 45 to 55. Mm -hmm. Uh, 55 to 64 years, uh, that's like 19%. Wow, it's just crazy. It's a lot. Um, One that we had mentioned as we, uh, before we started, uh, it kind of really touched my heart was uh, 85 years and older, and that's that's even a higher percentage at 20%. Um, and then we have 15 to 24-year-olds, uh, and that's at 13%. Wow, that's even lower than 85. I mean, that's even lower than the 85 age bracket. And so there's two groups that I want real quick. The first one to, to hit on is uh, the 85 years and older. Yeah. How do you think that is? Um, you are at the end of your life, likely. Um, I mean, living to be 85 years is higher than the average mean of how long people live. So they are at the end of their life. If they haven't, unfortunately, if they haven't saved well, if there are health issues, if there is loneliness, like they don't really have close family. There's really just not a lot. It can feel like there's not a lot to live for. Um, the latter years of people's life, um, we want to have purpose. Uh, um, I've, oh my goodness. People want to live for it. It's called generavity. So they're living to give. And at that point around that time period, the body can really start to fall apart and not feel like there's a lot to really live for. You had said something that was kind of interesting, uh, not preparing, not financially prepared to live that long. Right. Wow. Um, And then the other age group was 15 to 24-year-olds, you know, 13% of the suicide rate. Why do you think that is? Um, Well, I, I mean, if we think about young people, they often don't know how to handle the things that come their way, especially if their parents don't know how to handle the things that come their way or they're really uncomfortable with feelings. So young people just squish their feelings because they don't know what to do with them. And and then they get to a place where they feel unbearable. You also have to think about um, at this age bracket, the prefrontal cortex isn't formed. It's fully formed-ish around 24. And that's, uh, for women, it can be 22, men 24. And and so because it's still forming, there can be a lot of impulsivity. And it may not be that there's this uh, feeling of not wanting to be alive all the time, 
But when it does hit, it hits really hard. And because then you have this impulsive nature of young people also, then they do this thing that maybe if they had sought help, talked to a friend, um, did something that would bring this feeling down, then they wouldn't have done that thing. What do you think, you know, one of the things that I think of when I think of why kids have a hard time more so now than, you know, years before social media, I think that plays a huge part. It plays a huge role. Um, in the fact that, you know, when I was growing up and uh, I got in my stone-wheeled car and I avoided the dinosaurs, I could get home and anything that happened that during that day, I could get away from. Totally. And now... They bring it into the house with them. It's Absolutely. there. And I just don't know. You know, one of the things that I would love to see is parents get on the same page. Because if you talk to parents individually, I've noticed that, yeah, social media is horrible. We should never have let, you know. And to a T, it's like that. Yes. And I just feel like, you know, if, if we had a, a group of people and, you know, all the friends group and said, hey, let's not allow our kids to have social media. They have each other. We got parents backing them up. I don't know why that's. Well, that's not a thing. I think it's so hard, though, because now schools are wanting to be relevant. So there are people, there are teachers that share assignments via social media. Mm. They, they are integrating social media into their classroom, which in one hand, okay, cool, you're trying to continue to connect with students. And at the same time, we're perpetuating something that really isn't good for them. I tell people all the time, um, and I know parents disagree with me, and I know young people get angry about this, but there is no reason for a child to have Snapchat. Ever. Ever. <laughs> uh, even adults. Yeah. Uh, things that disappear get us in trouble. Yes. And so students end up sending things that they do not need to be sending to other people, whether that's um, like sexting type things or whether that, it, by the way, those are stored in a server somewhere, which like who knows what's going to happen with that someday, right? Or they somebody screenshots the stuff that you send or people can bully, students can bully other students, young people, because it disappears. And, and, and kid, the people get crazy, Scott. They say things like, well, why not go kill yourself? Life would be better without you. Yep. Kids say that to other kids, which is mind blowing. Kids say that to other kids. And then because of that impulsivity, because the prefrontal cortex isn't formed yet. And it just, what's happening right now feels unbearable and that it's never going to end. They do it. What are some warning signs of depression that a person experiencing it can notice? Um, often it is changes in mood. Uh, kiddos can be really, well, not just kids, but people in general can be really withdrawn. And there is a normalcy, honestly, with teenagers wanting to be in their room. Uh, but parents have to be wise in how much time in your room is really good. We get that you are an individual and you need your own space. But at the same time, if there's a difference in eating habits, if uh, m music changes, if dress changes, if there are these, sometimes they're subtle and subtle over time and sometimes they are not subtle. I find, too, that parents, again, that struggle talking about anything or struggle to talk about feelings also struggle to notice that their kids are 
lower. They just, oh yeah, they're just a teenager. If they used to play sports and now they have no interest in that anymore, or their grades are declining, or if they're working, work is declining, it just doesn't seem like you get much of them anymore. These are things that we need to notice. How do you get a kid out of the room? Uh, you need to remember, yeah, asking for a friend. (laughs) You have to remember that you are their parent and not their friend. I think that that's one of the best things that my parents ever did for me. Uh, And now we are friends because they were parents first. And that means that, Hey, listen, from this time to this time, you're not going to be in your room. Like I, you, this is my house, not your house. Now you can hate it. That's fine but you're still going to be here. It's really interesting that people are funny anyways, but uh, it's it, kids can have these narratives to them to themselves like my parents don't care about me. But it's hard to say that your parents don't care about you if they just force you to be downstairs with them <laughs> a majority of the time. My parents right. don't care. Okay, fine, your parents don't care, but they still want you to be around. And so as parents, you have to challenge their narratives. And okay, I don't care about you. I'm so mean. I just want you to be downstairs and have dinner with us without your phone. And by the way, I need to not have my phone also. And I think part of it is too, so many parents text their kids to come come downstairs to to dinner or they yell at them from the bottom of the stairs. And all of those things are convenient. But how often are you going to their room, to their space? And it's important, I do believe it's important to give kids their own space and allow them to have individuality. But at the same time, parents need to be wise enough to be aware. You need you need to go through your kid's room sometimes. I believe that. <laughs> you, need, you just need to. You need to have access to their phone. So many kids have what they call trap phones. Mm -hmm. So they have another phone that their parents don't know about. Or they have multiple Instagram accounts. They have one that their parents know about and one that their parents don't know about, where they actually post their real truth. So I'll keep an eye out for that. Mm, (laughs) You definitely should, Dad. I like the thing that, I like what you mentioned that, uh, I mean, I do go up to my kids' rooms quite a bit, but I do yell at them. Hey, come down and eat dinner. Uh, and I, I think I'm, I don't think I'm going to be changing that. That's uh, for one, they can't hear me, and we're yelling back and forth, and ugh, it's just uh, yeah. And isn't it interesting too? Because just the act of yelling like that, your kids start yelling back. I hear you, and like their levels are get they're getting amped up, and then they come downstairs and they're angry because even the way that you sounded yelling was angry, even if you weren't actually angry so our bodies naturally begin to respond to this elevation even if it's not anger yeah so i'm going to be making that change let me know how it goes yeah absolutely uh well my kids are uh, 16 and 19 so uh i started a little late on this part so you know what it that doesn't matter i think that we don't know until we know and then when we know we just do the best that we know how to do at that time mm, i agree i agree I've I've learned that uh, I need to, you know, what I used to think was head on the battle, you know, with raising kids. Uh, if 
it wasn't working one way for me. So I initially had to come back or not initially, I had to come back and go, look, this isn't working. I need to think of a different way of attacking it. And I think that, you know, it's, it's never too late to do anything in life. Right. And it's never too late to start talking to your kids if you haven't in the past. And uh, that's something that's changed with me already in the past. And parents have to be prepared for pushback that when you decide that, for example, if Y'all didn't do family dinner very often. That when you decide to start doing family dinner, that your kids are going to be like, what? Like, let me eat in my room. Let me be by myself. That there's going to be pushback. If you say from this point on at dinner or after 9 p.m., like this is a no phone zone, there's going to be pushback to that. If you say Friday night, every other Friday night, we're having family game night, your kids are going to push back to that because it's not your normal until it's your normal. Right. And so many parents That's give good. up too early because their kids push back and they don't want the conflict. They don't want to deal with it. The most important part of parenting is consistency. And by the way, it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. It's exhausting. You've got a youngster and uh, uh-huh. that's an 18 year old. That's an 18 year process, right? Well, even longer than that, really. Yes. But, uh- If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. We use Anchor for this podcast and our other podcasts the weekend from A to Z. So if you're about to start a podcast, lift Anchor with Anchor FM and set sail on your new adventures. What are some type of sessions that are available for people who uh, need to talk to somebody? Like, I know that there's person to person. We have telemed. And can Mm -hmm. you speak a little bit on both of those? Sure. Um, As a clinician... I prefer in person because I I get to see your whole body. I get to see what's happening in you from head to toe. And you get to feel me with you. You don't quite feel me with you in the way that you do on telehealth. Now, I think telehealth can be really beneficial also because sometimes people can't get to you. The time isn't convenient. Uh, and it works. And it's, for me... It, you can still do amazing therapy on telehealth. It just doesn't quite feel the same. But what's really nice about it is you get to see a person's full face. And so you can actually, and this is probably like my nerd self, but you can actually micro track if you're paying attention. You can micro track what's happening in their face and catch those emotions very fast as they happen, which is amazing. Um and there's also group therapy. So we, we need community. And it's often important for us to understand that we're not alone. We're not the only person in the world. The enemy likes to make us feel isolated. He likes for us to think that we're the only one that has this issue in this way. And if he can, then we feel even more isolated. And he wants to keep us that way because when we're isolated, we're left to our own devices. 
And so that's why group therapy can also be so beneficial because you're not the only one. And it sometimes can even put your own problems in perspective because you're like, you think that they're so big and then you hear this other person talk about their life and you're like, oh my gosh. Maybe I don't have it so bad. May, yes, maybe I don't have it so bad. And, and so there really truly is this balance between allowing your emotions to be real, that they, real, they are real and true to you. And having perspective that there are other people that have worse problems and that doesn't make mine not difficult also. So you saying that reminds me of what the purpose is of the Mighty Anvil and that's to help people or hear people's testimonies to help other people who are going through something that's like, oh, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how he got through it. So, you know, as iron sharpens iron and I love the, um, there's, I forget the amplified version, it goes, as iron sharpens iron, a brother helps another brother through conversation. Mm -hmm. I like that little through conversation because that's what we're about here. Um, how, how do you get someone to open up that doesn't want to um, speak? For instance, let's just take an example of a, a young man who wants to, who doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to go to therapy. He doesn't want to see anybody. He just wants to, you know, leave me alone. And then like three, four people, three um, counselors, uh, you come back to the parents and say, hey, look, if he's not going to talk, we've been here a month and a half, you know, it, it's kind of a waste of time right now. Well, how, do you, how do you get them to open up or at least get them to want to go get help? That is, that is the age old question, Scott, because you can't make anybody want anything. People actually have to decide for themselves that the pain that they're experiencing is too much, that they're willing to change or they're willing to, to risk it. Now, if, if a person won't say anything at all, then we're probably out of luck in terms of therapy that maybe it truly just isn't the right time for them. But if they will say something, my goal is to always capitalize on the part of them that has some sort of hope. Um, a lot of people, especially young people, will say, I don't think this will work. Okay, maybe, but what if it did? And so I want to capitalize on the part of them that has belief and continue to grow the part of them that has belief until I can help them get in enough to actually start working for themselves. And that's a process depending on where that person comes in at. Because when you are depressed, you have thoughts like this is hopeless, things will never change, I'm stuck this way, this is, this is all there ever is. And so you work to get people to see that this isn't all there is or are there times when you are happy? Like, even if it's like just for one second, are there times when you are happy? Gotcha. What are some, uh, some things or actions that family members can, can do that when they notice the, the changes that you mentioned earlier, what are some things that they can do? I think you have to just keep showing up. No matter how much that person pushes back at you, tells you to go away. I mean, sometimes kids use really colorful or really hateful language that you just keep showing up. 
even when the person, whatever age, when they're like, leave me alone, I don't need you, just I'm a waste of your time or whatever it is that you just keep showing up because it does show them that they matter. Even if they don't want to see that, there is this part of them that sees that somebody cares. And I think for parents to just choosing to be your parent's kid and not your friend, their friend, when you are so overly concerned with whether they like you or not, that's when your kids end up in a really difficult place because you're not saying or doing the things that you need to say or do as their parent because you're so concerned about how they feel about you. Uh, when should a parent or teacher or anybody that's involved ring the bell? Like, so we've discussed on, okay, this is the thing. Just be around, be consistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they're not, I would say if you're not even talking, just being in the room with them. Let yep. them do their video games, whatever. Just sit in the room. Um, but what's the next step of when you see, you know, see some see those signs, and when is it appropriate to f- seek help? Um, when you feel like truly, no matter what you do, and you're doing all the quote unquote right things, that no matter what you do, things don't seem to be changing. Um, a big key in my world is there's a difference in having this passive thought about not being alive. Like it would, my life would probably be better if I was dead. There's a difference in this passive, uh, it's called, we call it suicidal ideation. So this passive suicidal ideation versus I want to die and I have a plan to do so. The plan to do so is when we ring the bell. The moment that there's a plan, that means that the parent is now involved or the family member, if they're over 18, that might mean that they're headed to treatment, uh, a hop, skip, and a jump like right now. And so many parents are terrified of treatment because they don't want their kid to go to the hospital. But sometimes your kid needs to go to the hospital or as an adult, you need to go to the hospital because if you don't, at the nearest opportunity, you will kill yourself. And if you do know, though, that your kid has even this passive thoughts of like being alive, wouldn't it just be better? You want to remove or make them very difficult to get things like pills. And I think it's always wise for parents to make sure that their guns are locked up. I mean, this is Texas. We have guns in Texas. And at the same time, they they need to be locked up. Agreed. Uh, and this kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. But in the past two years, I've done a little bit of looking into. And I have noticed in everything that I've looked at, uh, when if you are in the Frisco area, how difficult it is to get a child into one of these locations now. Yes. That you might even have to go to Sherman uh, or even a couple of hours even further yep. just to get help and we don't have beds it's just amazing that uh it's that big of a problem i don't ever remember hearing that kind of issue when i was growing up Mm -hmm. and i you know one i think social media the pressures of just i can't imagine uh living in in today and all the things that they are just consumed with and it's non-stop you know like you were saying the, the brain you know young brain i'm not even prepared to handle all of that it's just a lot of information to intake. And then if you're young and not have to know how to deal with it, 
I can't imagine. But yeah, that was a shocking thing for me to, to mm-hmm. realize that, you know, Sherman or uh, Mansfield it's was a the continual closest place. problem that we don't have beds. Let's, let's kind of shift gears to people who have, are survivors of, of suicide. Mm. And I guess that really speaks to two different, two different people. But let's focus on the people that have lost someone. Yeah. What are some things? I think grief is really tricky. Anyways, we, uh, American culture is very, you're not over that yet. Move Hmm. on. Other cultures, people grieve for months. They wear a different color clothing or a certain type of clothing for a year sometimes even because grief is a real thing and to allow themselves to give permission for that. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I would tell those who have experienced someone in their life who's committed suicide is to allow yourself to have the grief about it. And grief is really rude, I think, because it shows up at the most inopportune times. And so to give oneself the space to actually have it, that it's okay, that there's nothing wrong, that you're still grieving, that your kid or your family member, whoever committed suicide seven years ago, and it still hits you sometimes. That's so normal. And often people are at risk. This is very interesting. People are, I forget the actual numbers right now, but when somebody's had a family member that's committed suicide, they're actually at risk of committed, committing suicide themselves mm. because the grief and the pain feels so unbearable. And that, that if that was a way out for that person, it could be a way out for them too. Mm. Even, and I, it like logically doesn't make sense, but again, emotionally, it's so overwhelming. And, and so we have to be aware of our family members who, when we've lost someone that way, may even themselves now be at risk. So seeking help, talking to somebody. Yes. You know, uh, something I wanted to bring up, it was quite interesting. A friend of mine brought up this, and I don't know how true it is. Uh, someone reasons that he feels that there's such a high anxiety, high mental health issue in, in the world today is we've gotten away from our social person on person connections. Sure. And, um, so with that said, Oh, he, with that said, how do you think the numbers are going to play out from uh, last year, 2020. Um, my field has already experienced uh, an influx of clients because of the, of the pandemic, of dealing with all the stuff of people being isolated and alone and even masks covering up the face and the social cues that come with that. I mean, I remember, and sometimes it still happens. You go to the grocery store and this is Texas. People are friendly and normally people would smile or greet you and they don't anymore. And they look away. It was like, Oh my gosh, if we even look at each other, somebody's going to, somebody's going to get the virus. And so what this has done is again, create a greater sense of isolation, which is a greater sense of loneliness. And so then you do see depression and anxiety significantly increase. And I know that just anecdotally in my own practice, we've seen that. Um, And I talk to colleagues and we've seen it all across the country and people that are terrified of things that they were never terrified of 
before. And fear is such a powerful driver uh, of to to isolate, to be alone. And so I would expect anyways that these numbers would increase. Mm. I hate to see that. What are some books, some uh, self-help videos? I don't know. What would you recommend uh, on reading? Sure. Um, probably two of my favorite books because my the theory that I sort of think through, see the world through when we're talking about a rise of anxiety or a rise of depression, it really has to do with there's other stuff happening underneath that we are not seeing or pushing down, avoiding. Um, and so two of my favorite books are um, Living Like You Mean It by Ronald Frederick. And It's Not Always Depression by Hilary Jacobs Hindle. And those books truly help us get an understanding of what's actually happening on the inside. That it may not actually be anger or sadness or guilt. Sometimes shame. Shame is a huge driver of suicide. That those feelings are actually getting in the way of something that's happening underneath. And those books can help people become aware of the way that they're avoiding their own feelings and truly beginning to recognize them. Because again, American culture says, don't have these things. One must always be happy. Grief has a time limit. Sadness has a time limit. Anger's pretty acceptable, but like, don't punch anyone in the face. But (laughs) we understand if you do. And you even think about it. Anytime someone cries without fail, they apologize. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it happens. Still happens on my couch that I could have seen somebody ten times and they start crying and they apologize. I'm like, hey, you know, tears are cool here. That's fine. I wonder why that why that is. Why we feel so bad that you know someone's seeing us cry or something. Shame. That's, it brings up shame because something's wrong with us. It's funny. I cry all the time. For you strikers that didn't know that. Um, but I cry over, you know, joy and happiness and someone mm-hmm. showing honor. It's like, God, what is going on? I'm 51 years old. I shouldn't be doing this. See, that shouldn't <laughs> word though is a shame inducing yes. word that probably many of your listeners use that word in their everyday life. And I encourage people to even shift that should word and use wish. I wish I didn't do this or I wish this thing didn't happen. Interesting. What, because wish feels a lot less shameful than should because should implies that there's something wrong with my personhood. I should know better to not do that. What role do you think of relationships and building relationships are in, uh, how valuable are they in, in mental health? Um, well, I think that that's why therapy in itself is so beneficial because it's this unbearable feeling that we're having. We're no longer having it alone. That God created us. God wired us for connection, for community. I often joke with people that if Jesus had 12, like Jesus, Jesus had 12 people, three of which he was very close to. You're not Jesus. You don't think you need people? Like, <laughs> love that. Get it together, man, because we are created for community. We have to have it. And 
whether that's a good therapist, whether that is your church community or your softball community or whatever, whoever it is that you're really close to your family, that we have to have community. And that helps us uh, be safe on the inside. And we need to have those people that we can be authentic with. We can be our real, true selves and know that we're going to be loved anyways. And that's a part of the 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 problem that leads people to anxiety or depression things like that is the fear that if you truly knew me you wouldn't love me Mm. well we're about to wrap up um i kind of brought the relationships uh up for a reason if our listeners are not getting enough of you (laughs) they can also uh look at the podcast same team forever that's right and uh there's a lot of laughs or i'll be driving around and i've got tears in my eyes because y'all are just you and josh are (laughs) so funny sometimes and i forget the last i wish i had written it down the last the last episode where i forgot what i forgot what you said about josh but it just cracked me up it's just so funny but yeah, uh, same team forever. Uh, y'all also just got done with a marriage thing. Yeah, so Josh and I do retreats. Um, we just finished our intimacy university, which was about emotional and physical intimacy. Who doesn't want more of that in their life? And so that's what that really focused on. And we have four, at least four live retreats coming up in uh, 2022. But for the next I guess each month we have a live webinar that we're doing and then at the very beginning of the year we'll have a uh, live vision goals retreat. It'll be virtual so people can do that no matter where they're at, but to really help their relationship get started on the right foot for 2022. Right on. Um, So will those be recorded and put on like a YouTube channel to where the people can go back and visit those or is it just so they can sign up for them live or sign up for a replay. If you can send me those links for the uh, strikers to, you know, take, check those out later. Sure, I'd can be put happy those to. up there. Absolutely. Uh, well, Brittany, uh, as uh, one of the traditions, uh, we're trying to get away from that word tradition, but one of the things we like to do is have our guests pray us out. And if you would give us that honor. I would be happy to. Thank you. Yeah. Father, I just thank you for every person that hears the sound of our voices. I thank you that they are truly your precious child, that you created them with a goal in mind, and that if they're still here, your purpose for them, your goal for them hasn't hasn't been achieved, and that you are doing so much in them. And also, Father, I pray for the hearts of people that are listening to this who have lost friends and loved ones to suicide and the grief that they may be experiencing in the middle of this. And even it, it maybe for those people that are listening that had tears in their eyes the whole time just going, wow, that's me, or I wish I had known this, or I wish I had showed up. And so I just also ask Holy Spirit, you're the great comforter that you would you would minister to the hearts of the people that right now that are feeling guilty and wishing that they had seen something in their loved one and maybe their loved one would still be alive now and and that they would know that they can't control that. We can't control anybody's life, but Father, that you are in the mix. You, Your word says that you are the great comforter. And so I thank you that you are just comforting those who have lost others. I also pray for the eyes of any parent that's listening to this, that you give them eyes to see your children the way that you see them, 
ears to hear what you hear and a mouth to speak what you would speak that they would choose to be their parent their child's parent and not their child's friend so that they can that they can care for their child in the way that they need to that they wouldn't feel as though they can't talk about feelings that they would begin to bravely show up in new ways for their children and for their family and so father I just thank you that you're doing that right now and we just praise you for who you are and we love you amen amen Dr. Brittany, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Maybe we can do this again next year and uh, find another uh, topic of um, mental health that we can address. I'd be honored. Right on. Well, Strikers, until next week, we'll see you then. Bye. Awesome.